Hello, people of the world, and welcome to this week's episode of the Unity Project podcast. I'm so excited about the conversation today. I got to have it with one of my really good friends from Nashville named Megan Hood. She is an incredible writer and friend and speaker and just mind. Every time I have a conversation with her or we hang out, every single time I've walked away feeling so understood and cared about and just free to ask the harder questions and free to not know the answers and free to just feel how I'm feeling. So I figured she would be perfect to have on a podcast like this because that's exactly the kind of message I want to portray out there to you guys listening. In this episode, we talk a lot about purity culture and body shame and what messages from our childhoods and whatnot have made it really difficult to live a life connected to our bodies. And yeah, I'm super excited, so I hope you enjoy. good to hear your voice. I have not talked to you in so long, I feel like. I know. It has been a while, but I've been following your journey. And dear, I am just so proud of you. Let's just start with that. Like, <laughs> you blow me away. And even just listening to your intro on the podcast, just the first episode, I was like blown away by some of the things, just some of the ways that you use words. Like, you were just such a beautiful writer. And I heard it just coming through so thick in that one episode. So I'm just so excited to see what you do with this podcast. I feel like it's going to just bless and honor so many stories. It's oh, going to be awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. I really appreciate that, especially because you are one of the most incredible writers I have ever known. Ugh, thank you. Honestly, nice. I like, I was thinking about how I wanted to start this and I was thinking about how we met at a 30th birthday party at a trampoline park. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what even? <laughs> it was amazing. But like, I when I met you, I just wanted to ask you like every single question. And Aww. it was so much fun talking because I feel like when you're a writer, you kind of see the world through a different kind of lens. Mm. And it was just so much fun talking to you and then getting to know your story and reading your work on your incredible blog, which we will talk about later. Aw, thanks. But yeah, so I'm just excited that you wanted to be on the show. So thank you so much. It is an honor to be here, my friend. I'm excited about this topic because yeah. I feel like this just resonates so deeply with my journey I'm on now. So this should be real fun and real honest. <laughs> good, good. Well, let's jump right in then. Um, my first question I want to ask you is to describe your relationship that you have with your body. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one. Super light topic. Okay. If I'm, I mean, I have space to be honest and I know that's kind of what you're about. So we'll just go right into it. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I think it's just a constant wave. Um, or dichotomy of, of sorts between abuse and nurture, like wow. back and forth and back and forth. And there's mm. just so much tension between it. Like one day I am, I mean, just blatantly, completely abusive towards myself, towards my heart, towards my body, towards what it's doing. And then the next day it's so repentant and I'm, and I'm just 
all about some nurture. So I, I think it just goes both ways. I wish so bad that I could I could come on and just be like, I am so healthy. I love, you know, my brain is healthy. My mind, my heart is healthy when it comes to my body image. Like I wish so bad that I could come into it with that mentality, but I'm not there yet. I'm just not. Oh no, that is completely relatable. That's, I think, the beauty of the beauty of this kind of conversation is I think we're all kind of there in the back and forth of it. And I think my favorite thing recently has been able to like notice and be aware of what it looks like, even when it's bad, to kind of be able to just look at like why. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think? What do you think are reasons why? it does like the back and forth. Like do things happen on days when it feels abusive or is it kind of just feel natural to you or or what side of that feels more natural? I think honestly, I mean, a lot of it is related to consumption in some way. Like when it comes to food or drink or anything that I'm doing, I think I can so quickly resort to shame um, instead of celebration especially I think right now with quarantine. <laughs> I mean, I think we're all kind of feeling that. And I, I think sometimes food is is my version of coping because it does. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel happy. And there's certain um, things that are a comfort because they are nostalgic and certain, you know, things that just make me feel joy when I have, you know, a Rice Krispie treat. Um, and, <laughs> and I even that, like I listen to my tone and I'm like, shut up because that it, it's, I'm, shaming, you know, the act of eating a Rice Krispie treat. Like, that's so lame. Um, But I think, I think it comes a lot with that. If I make a bad choice, um, I will abuse accordingly so that I feel like um, I won't make that choice again. Or I feel that that's honestly, mm, probably more so it's just what I feel like I deserve. Um, and so I'll look at my body, I'll look at my thighs, and I'll take extra time in front of the mirror and examine it and and just get ticked off that that is what my body looks like and, and shame myself for the choices I made instead of just celebrating that my body is going to fluctuate in and out and like, yeah, and instead of just nurturing her and loving her and saying thank you so much for like, and you gave me the taste buds to be able to enjoy that Rice Krispie. Like, I need to thank you for that gift, you know, versus yeah. slam you for it. Oh, that makes so much sense to me. Oh, my mm. gosh. Especially with the topic of food. Where, where do you think that comes from? Because I feel like we weren't really, like, born with that in our brains that way. Like, where do you think the messages were, like, that is not okay and, like, that's where we mm. should be shamed come from? I mean— for me, I think it's being, uh, this is me personally in my story. I was raised evangelical Christian. I still would claim to be an evangelical Christian. Um, and I think a lot of of what I experienced was just growing up in a shame culture. I mean, that's what was celebrated. And that's how I was taught to honor my body was to be ashamed of it. Um, and I think that per what's the word? Perpetrated? We're writers, right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Perpetrated, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I yeah. think that that caused um, 
because I got those messages so often as a child and as a teen um, and in those influential times that they've translated so much into the way I view my body now. And I think that so many of us who were raised in that culture really, at least from my experience and from the friends that I've talked to and from the women that I've connected with, um, even just through my blog, that culture was a big reason why we tend to abuse our bodies um, and and when I say abuse, I feel like that's a harsh term and I need to be careful with it. So what I mean, I think by that word abuse is because I think we do have to be careful with the way that we use that. And I want to make sure I'm honoring that. But um, I, I think it's it's kind of like taking myself out of my body and looking at my body as as a whole being. And the way that I treat it is so negative and so berating and so degrading that it feels that way. And that's that's what I mean by that. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense to me. So basically, I've been in, as I think you know, I've been in uh, eating disorder treatment for the past four-ish months. And mm. a big concept that we were learning was, I guess, the dynamic of us and our bodies. And like, mm. we had to do a lot of like letter writing of uh like writing letters to our body from us and then writing letters from our body to us. And it really just helped expand the narrative of like, what it means to live inside our bodies and like mm-hmm. if we're like a living body if or if we're like living in an an object of a body, kind of like based on how we treat it. And just the messages and like the words and stuff that I just caught myself feeling as I was writing those letters was so eye-opening to me. You mentioned earlier being raised in evangelical Christian, uh, the evangelical Christian church. And I, I was too – in an extent, I know our stories are really different, um, but I remember a lot of messages from that that I think played a big part in how I see myself and how I see my body. And I was wondering what messages you remember kind of played a part in this. Mm. So for me, I think um, just coming from that faith background, one of the big things growing up was the purity movement. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that or if you were a part of that, but purity culture was, um, and true love waits. Do you remember this with the rings and all the things? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was, (laughs) yes. Um, So that was, was huge. And I, I think because of the messaging there and, and basically the whole big overarching theme was, you know, save yourself till marriage. Modesty is key. You know, you could even call it modesty doctrine. That's what I tend to call it. Um, and I think the the underlying message or the thing that really spoke to my heart and many women that I talk to is that my body is not safe. And I think this is a big thing in Christianity in the first place is that we're taught, you know, you cannot trust yourself. You cannot trust, you cannot trust your feelings, your emotions. Um, and it's something that I'm really trying to speak on right now because— I feel like that message, especially if you do look in scripture and if you do look at Jesus's heart and who he was on earth, like it's something that um, is not necessarily scriptural. I kept hearing over and over growing up that because my body was a woman's body, it is not safe. I cannot trust it. And it is a weapon. And it was like I was told over and over that my body is powerful, but I was never, ever handed any empowerment. You know what I mean? Uh Um, And so I, because of this, it really gave me that abusive mentality when it came to my body because I cannot trust it. Therefore, it deserves 
less than nurture. It deserves nothing but that kind of abuse. Um, It was a weapon and I had to be very, very, very careful with it. That makes a lot of sense. I remember Mm -hmm. like lots of messages about like what I wore, um, how I like, just kind of how I presented myself. I felt like there was just a lot of, a lot of pressure on me growing up. Oh yeah. Because if you dressed a certain way, you know, the boy's brains are going to explode. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the thing is it became our responsibility. That was what was preached so often was that the boys, they are just walking around willy-nilly. They cannot control themselves. And it is our job as women to take that on and be responsible. And I feel like that is a very dangerous thing to tell a young girl that she is responsible for all the men in the world and that her body is that desired that it could take down a church. It could take down mankind. You know what I mean? It's oh my just, gosh. It's <laughs> so crazy Seriously. when you think about it. And it is a patriarchal, um, I don't know the best word to use there, but it, 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 is, it is something that was pressed down onto us over and over and over. And what it did too was it taught me that because I couldn't trust my body, I was never taught to know my body. And I think that that's a message that now I'm starting to open up and learn, especially after being married for a year, starting to learn that like, wow, I was never taught what my body can do and how amazing it is in that way, even with sexuality and things that I was never, ever discussed, like, gosh, (laughs) just with abstinence education and just the lack of information we were given because, you know, all the books we were handed, or at least me, I was handed, you know, as a 12, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, were all purity-based, were all protection over my sexuality, were all waiting for my prince, waiting for Mr. Right, and all the books that men were handed were leadership, you know? And and what does that tell women, young women, about what they're good for (laughs) and what they can be used? I don't know. I just— it stresses me out. <laughs> yeah. I like haven't really thought about purity culture stuff in a while. And I'm just realizing now like how big of an impact that has played just mm-hmm. hearing the way like you're talking about it. It's so real. Yeah. Like, what do you think like – I don't know. Well, what has kind of your process looked like with that? Like I know for me that seemed like such just the way that it is because I guess like when – at least from my experience, like when you grow up being taught something – I didn't realize there were like other views and other perspectives out there. I thought this is just the way it is. Mm. But I don't know, like what does that process look for you to kind of untangle that? Oh gosh, it's it's still being (laughs) worked through, quite honestly. I think one of the keys to it was just seeking and finding solidarity, sister. Like just knowing that there were other women out there and just opening up that conversation and hearing a lot of, you know, me too in that process. Um, And I think like, gosh, it's been so hard for me processing this to realize like that I really struggle with fully embracing and connecting with my body and connecting with myself because at every turn throughout my life, I, you know, this side of my religion was screaming not to do that. 
and that that was unsafe and then that was sinful. And to now come and open up the conversation and hear that there's other women out there that were told the same message and have overcome it or are at least calling it out or are just, you know, sitting in it with me. It's just, I think finding connection in whatever you're struggling with is one of the biggest keys to working through it because we are not meant to do anything hard alone. We just aren't. And Mm -hmm. I think it's unhealthy to try and process these things by yourself. And I think just there's so much beauty in speaking something out and then seeing that other people are going the same, going through the same thing or struggling, even if it's that nuanced, like, oh gosh, a wonderful example of this. And this is just in my personal experience, but Oh, sweet baby angels. I was like, I just love these girls. I was um, at a youth group, um, youth retreat a few years back. Um, and I was the youth leader for these girls. Um, and they were all in the 16-year-old age range. And there were about nine of them. And, and we were all, you know, on a high. If you're familiar with Christian camp, you know what it's like. <laughs> um, but we were all on that like last night high where you're like, Jesus is amazing and look what he's doing and all these things. And it was really beautiful. And we started, you know, um, we were in the cabin together, all the girls, and we're starting to get into, you know, so what did you feel, you know, during worship? What did you feel during the preaching? Like, where are you right now? How are you feeling? And and all the girls one by one were kind of you know, going off on their highs and like all these amazing things and that were going on. And then they started kind of dipping into some confession, which got really interesting and just how they were struggling with this or that. And it was your normal stuff, like gossip, bullying, all the things um, that that we as 16-year-old girls all dealt with. Um, But I noticed one girl in the corner and she just looked, I mean, like absolutely wrecked, just wrecked and so nervous and so scared. And she had been pretty quiet the entire retreat. And and I asked straight up, I was like, does anyone have anything, you know, that that they want to open up about that um, maybe they'd like to discuss just to see if anyone else is going through it? And she like slowly raised her hand and she said, she's like, oh, poor baby. She did a whole prerequisite where she was like, you know, I'm really scared to admit this. Like, you're all going to think I'm disgusting. You're all going to think I'm awful. Like, I know this is the worst thing I could possibly say, but I'm just going to say it. And she's like, so I've struggled with porn and I've been looking at porn and I don't know what to do about it. And I know it's wrong. And so she just opens up and tells us this. And I look around at all these girls and all these sweet little Bible beaten 16 year olds. (laughs) And they're so precious. And they're just like wide eyed staring at her. And I'm like, okay, as a leader here, I have a choice. Like, I can just say, thank you so much for sharing. Like, let's pray over her, which I feel like would have happened in my day if that had been me in youth group. So I looked around and at all these girls and I I raised my hand and I said, okay, she was so sweet and honest. And I know she is not the only one in this room that has struggled with that. So raise your hand if that's something that you've seen, walked through, are currently walking through. Let's talk about it. And I raised my hand. And then all of a sudden, every single girl in that room raised their hand. Wow. And then we started this beautiful conversation about pornography. And <laughs> like, which is, it was so powerful though, to see her her just being vulnerable and taking that time and just 
honoring herself enough to be bold and then to watch all these girls come around her and say, me too. And just to, I mean, chills just thinking about it. And these are 16 year old girls and there was no shame in it. I would like, there was not, that was not allowed in that room at the time. It was, Hey, we're all doing this. Okay. So what could we choose that maybe is a healthier route? Like, why do we think this is unhealthy? And it was just an open discussion about what that looked like, what it means to God, what it means to, you know, about them, which was that they were still beautiful. They are not damaged, like, <laughs> which yeah. is also a message we always receive. And I hate that, you know, and um, it was just so cool to see that happen just right in front of me in real life. And it was such a a lesson for me to see what happens and the power behind just not, I feel like confession's the wrong word, but just being vulnerable and authentic with your community and giving them the opportunity to also release and find freedom through your words. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. That story like kind of makes me want to cry, honestly, because that's just so brave. And especially with that specific topic, because that's not talked about with girls. Never. And no. We've all have done it. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because we're curious, you know what I mean? But and that's something we never grew up discussing and good gracious, that would have been helpful. <laughs> yeah. No, but absolutely. But we're not taught we're sexual, you know? Women were not we it's it was rarely at least when I was young. Like the men were sexual, women that was never something that was placed on us. And so if we felt a sexual desire or urge, immediately we were dirty. Dirty oh, yeah. or damaged, oh, you know? And we don't do this with other things. Like the church, when it comes to the church, like if we screw up sexually, then we're damaged for life. We're damaged goods and that's what we're taught. Like those are even in the object lessons. I don't know if you're familiar with object lessons or if you saw these um, at camps or different sermons, but like food, which is interesting, is often like a big object lesson that they talk about. Like Oreos, for example, was one that they used in my youth group where they took the Oreo and they were like, who wants this Oreo? Everyone raises their hand and then they pass it around the room and everyone is supposed to either spit on it, throw it on the ground, rub it in their seat, just do something gross with the Oreo. And then when they get it back, you know, the youth group pastor holds it up and says, all right, who wants this Oreo now? Who will eat it? You know, and there's always that one guy in the back that thinks he's hilarious and says he will, but majority of everybody, (laughs) you know, says they won't. And this is an example of what it looks like, you know, if you sexually screw up as a teenager and like, no one's going to want you, you're damaged goods. But then when it comes to like, you know, drugs or alcoholism or anything like that, if you walk into church and you free yourself, quote unquote, from that sin, quote unquote, then like there's a celebration and then you're freed of it and you move forward. But then there's, it's interesting that with sexuality, like you're damaged for life and that's Mm. the message we receive. It's so interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, I don't remember even getting any sort of talk. I think I learned what sex even was, was like at school. Yeah. (laughs) From people on the bus right home. And it's just, it's really scary growing up not knowing and like naturally progressing and growing up and your body changing and stuff and Mm -hmm. just not knowing what's going on and feeling so isolated and so just like any thoughts in your head, you feel like this damaged, broken person because no one else is talking about it. So automatically you're just like alone and gross and it just, that's where shame grows. And I think that's where like the body disconnection really starts to happen. Hmm. I did for me. Yeah. Why do you think sexuality is such 
the hot topic in this kind of thing? Like, why is that the one thing that shames us for life or that like makes us damaged goods versus something like drugs or alcohol? I mean, I think it goes back, you know, to a history of patriarchy and how women, they had to be a certain level of pure to even enter into a marriage. For example, like if they were sold into marriage, which is what was happening, or sold into slavery, they were checked. Their bodies were looked over. They were picked apart. They were made sure. I mean, even I just watched a show. I don't know if you've started watching The Great on Hulu. Highly suggest it. It's amazing. Um, But it's about Catherine the Great. And even before she was brought to him, her husband or the emperor at the time, she, they, and even that was just triggering to watch it. But they had to check her to make sure she was actually a virgin. They had to check her body. Um, And I think just we've had years and years and years and years of, of that being something that when it comes to femininity, that's the priority. And because of that, it's just passed down generation to generation to generation. And, and I feel like generationally, each, each time we're getting um, a little more quote unquote woke. And so <laughs> women are starting to kind of fight back against this a little bit. But especially when it comes to the church, I, I think women's purity is a way to control. And I think it's always been kind of that way, is especially when you look back at the 70s, when it really started in the 80s to to really start to take off that that purity movement and mindset. You know, they were looking for a way, um, conservatism was looking for a way to control because they were losing a few battles at the time. Um, and there's books and books and books on this, but more so than anything, it has to do with control. I think within the church specifically, um, I I don't necessarily believe that there are people in the church right now. The whole church isn't bad, obviously. I love the church. I am all for the church. But I think um, that back in the 70s and 80s, when we really started to see a rise in purity culture and in this movement, I I think they were grasping at straws to find control because of um, some things that were happening with second wave feminism. and, And so they were looking for ways for that to stay out of the church. You mentioned some books that you were reading about learning about this stuff because I'm really interested in oh yeah this whole entire topic and I'm sure lots of people listening are too. What are some of the books that you would recommend for us to all kind of learn more about this? I think some really just attainable ones that aren't too researchy but are actually really healing. One is Shameless by Nadia Boltz Weber. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work, but she is awesome and such a badass and hilarious and a wonderful, wonderful writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Linda K. Klein, she does a lot of work um, with the purity movement. She does a really great job and she has a book called Pure and she does, they both do so many interviews um, on podcasts. Like that's a really easy, quick way um, to get the information and to learn. But I mean, even just if you're struggling in this specific area with if, if purity culture is in your past and a lot of your body image issues right now um, or just your relationship with your body comes out of or you're realizing is coming out of that culture, then I would put even just put purity culture or purity movement into your search bar on podcasts and then just start listening. Um, that's pretty much where I started. I love, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rachel Held Evans, Jackie. Oh my God. I love her so much. Come on. Yes. She's done some work with that too. And some interviews with it too, that are just beautiful. Um, so yeah, any, I, I do your research, but gosh, I'm telling you it's freeing when you start to hear these stories and it, it makes so much more sense. And it's, I feel like the first step to healing is just connection. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Those are very great book recommendations. I remember when I read Rachel Held Evans for the first time because mm. I just started learning like like it's just a really big moment when you start to realize that everything you were taught growing up isn't like the end all truth and like there's people who think differently and there's mm. people who challenge things and and I think that's one of the things that I like love about having conversations with you because every time every time we hang out I walk away feeling like I don't know. There's just this sense of freedom that I have to ask mm. questions because that's just kind of like what we do. Because I've had friends in the past um, in this kind of world telling me like, don't ask questions. Just like you just have sure. to believe it. Like don't look into it too much because you can convince yourself anything's not true. But mm. I really think like the truth is like life and God and beauty, that's all in the questions. Yeah. So, it's It's a mystery. That's the thing. Like we so often want to embrace certainty because as humans, that makes sense. And I have deep empathy for that because that's who I've been, you know, and and we want something to stand on and something firm and a firm foundation, if you will. But like, I, I'm the older I get and the more research I do and the more reading I do and, and the more digging into my heart um, and just and into the word, like... I'm realizing more and more that mystery is really what it's all about. And it is such a sweet, sweet space to walk into. It looks terrifying when you start because things start unraveling. And once, and that's the thing too, purity culture was honestly the, um, I think, catalyst to my personal like faith deconstruction. And once I saw that start to unravel, it kind of you know, started the snowballing down the hill where I'm just screaming going, wait, wait, wait. Um, <laughs> but, Relatable so much. Yes. So I, I think because of that, it's brought me into such a sweeter and more vulnerable, honest, authentic space with my faith and um, with people of other faiths and other beliefs. And it just makes you a more empathetic person, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. which I think is and at this time and and what we're going on, you know, what all is going on with the world, I, I, we could use some more empathy. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What was that experience like for you, like starting the deconstruction movement? Because I, I went through that a, a couple of years ago and it mm. was just one of the most challenging, emotional, like scary times, but such an important time. Like mm. what did that kind of look like for you? Oh, it's it's like walking into a dark room. And and also being blind, but like, and, <laughs> and no, it's but you're walking into a room that you know has been set up for you your whole life, and and you think you know where everything is, but then someone's come in the room and moved everything around. I guess it's like oh so you're just stumbling and ramming into things and going, wait, that wasn't what it was before, you know? And and I feel like that's that's kind of what it was like for me, where like I said, when it started with one thing, it just snowballed into a bunch of others, and. It, it at first was very scary because, and I, I still, I have to, I mean, if I'm being quite honest, I'm still terrified um, as I walk through it because of, not because of the process of it. That's been really beautiful. Um, but I think it's the external facing factors. Like what are friends going to say? What's family going to do? How does this affect my relationship? How does this affect my marriage? You know, and mm -hmm. um, thankfully my marriage, it's been beautiful because he's been right there with me along the way. And it's, and that's been, you know, at the end of the day, if I have him holding my hand, you know, and, and saying, I got you, then I'm fine. Maybe that's codependent. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm like, he's God's no. gift to me. So I'm thankful. But, um, and 
what I've found too is like, I thought I was going to lose so much community by even opening up and talking about it, you know, through my blog. And, um, in reality, I actually found my people. <laughs> like, oh. And that's been probably the coolest process is like, and I think this is, if there was one practice I could pass on just again, for your body and just to love yourself this week, like just opening up about where you're at. Like if you were authentic with yourself and authentic about your journey, the people that you need are going to walk into that space with you and you're going to find people to walk on it with you. But if you're not authentic and you do not put down that mask, then you're going to continue to walk with a community that that you're scared of, you know, and that isn't really getting to know you or isn't able to really celebrate you at your full self, you know? Yeah. yeah, And that's the best part. (laughs) That's awesome. That's actually what someone told me at the beginning of my, similar to what someone told me at the beginning Mm. of my journey. It was like, because at at first you kind of feel like an outsider, like you were a part of this thing. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's isolating, very isolating. Oh, yeah. You like get kicked out, it feels like, to this like outer rim of where everyone else is and mm-hmm. you think you're alone out there, but then all of a sudden you start meeting all the other people out there and that's just the most beautiful place to be. Yeah. I love that. That was a very good thing to say. <laughs> very, <laughs> very love that a lot. Um, Yay, good. So what does this kind of look like for you today as far as like, I guess, circling back to what you originally said for your relationship with your body on how there's good days and there's bad days, mm. I guess like, cause I know for me, like, like I said earlier, the awareness of it is a really big gift mm-hmm. in what I've learned and like how to walk forward with that. But what does it kind of look for you now with the knowledge that you have and like the awareness and the questions that you've asked what does that look like for you on the good days? Like, are there strategies that you have used that have helped, like, create a healthier relationship with your body? Or what does that look like? So for me, the biggest thing that disconnects me from my body is shame. It just, it always will and always has. I, I pray it always won't. <laughs> I hate saying that, but I, I probably always struggle with this. And, you know, but it always comes back to shame for me because of, you know, like I said, my background and and I think just the way I'm created and made up. So I think at least as far as strategy, I mean, these are simple things, but like taking time off of anything that forces my heart into comparison is huge for me because I'll see it. I mean, I, I don't know why I mock this or make it sound like oh, this is so, because people say it, I guess, because people say it all the time, but like taking time off Instagram, taking time off any social media platform, like, you know, I think is is healthy because, or just going through and doing a flush of the people that maybe are not serving you well during this time because of where you're at and having the self-awareness to know what you need um, when it comes to that season that you're in, I think is really, really important. So sometimes I'll just go through and do a flush and just, you know, mute or unfollow people that just may not be serving me right now. And that's just what it is. I think also just choosing actively to do something positive for my body always strips a little bit of shame away. And that can just look like a walk, just going for five minutes on a walk. And for some reason, it just lifts me out of wherever I'm at because I felt like I did something active, um, you know, that that nurtured my body. Again, it's always going back to that because I can't nurture in a space of shame, you know, that doesn't really compute. And so 
I'll try to actively find ways to nurture. I think just making a smoothie or yoga has been huge um, for me. I, when growing up, that was evil. <laughs> oh, same. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still evil at the church. I, would, I don't know. Who knows? Oh, but yeah. yoga was very discouraged. Um, but <laughs> if, so for funny. me, <laughs> I know. For me, it's been one of the number one, like, sweet baby angel connectors for my heart and my body to just align, you know, to just sit still. And actually, you know, they they always talk about mantras. Like, what are you going to say to yourself? And usually for me, it's always like, I love you. I love you. I love you over and over and over. And this is me loving my body. This is how I love my body. Um, and even if it's just simple stretching, like just quieting my mind, just helps so much to rid of that shame cycle that I, and spiral that I can get into so quickly. Is just spreading truth back to my body and just loving her the way that... She's always, gosh, she's always meant to be loved, but for some reason, I just struggle with offering it. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that a lot. Those are some really helpful things I've actually loved to do lately too, especially especially yoga. Yeah. I was going to um, ask you, what are some for you? Yeah. So we learned a bunch over the past four oh, months. I'm sure. Lots of them were just kind of annoying to me and didn't stick, but then there were a lot that were really helpful and Yoga was a big one. We actually, they had a yoga instructor come in every week until lovely COVID happened. Um, Aww, <laughs> yeah. But this lady would come in and do yoga with us. And it was really incredible to like, I guess, just experience our bodies in this slow, patient way. And I say incredible, but at the beginning, I hated it because for me, I guess just the awareness of my body was really mm. uncomfortable. <laughs> it was like having to sit there and think and feel what you're feeling in this activity when it's like, because like for me, I, I'm mainly a runner and that mm. was something that was taken away, well, I say taken away from me, that was something I was supposed to not do in treatment because that was also a strategy I used, I guess, to deal with life. But mm -hmm. in a sense, running is a way for me to kind of numb out for my body and to ignore my body more because it's like if it hurts when I'm running to just – like I got really good at training myself to just ignore everything I was feeling and just mm -hmm. force myself to do something. But with yoga, it was like the complete opposite of that. It was this very still, quiet, introspective moment that just is really uncomfortable. But once you pass through that uncomfortable or once you pass through that uncomfort, you kind of just start to realize what it feels like to connect with your body in mm -hmm. some sort of movement that's not just ignoring yourself, which was really special. I think other than that, things that have helped me connect are like meditation, which is similar to yoga, mm -hmm. but just like I, I like to use uh, – oh, gosh, it's this app. What's it called? Calm? I always wanna, no, it mm. starts with a C. No, it's got the – oh, Headspace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I always forget the name of it for some reason, but mm -hmm. it's not even that hard. Headspace has been a lovely a lovely tool that I've used and, mm -hmm. and lots of writing, which I know that you know and you love as well. It just helps me kind of have this oh, place therapy. to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, to be super yeah. honest. Yeah. And as you just said, getting like a really badass therapist is incredible. Seriously, I'm, I'm telling you, counseling saved – my life has saved my marriage, has saved my heart. Like I, I cannot express to you. And I think again, in evangelical Christianity, that's another thing that 
uh, wasn't necessarily encouraged. And I still think is, I think we're working through it a lot. There's a lot more um, people that are being, you know, open about mental illness and mental health, um, especially with pastors, you know, taking their own lives and things that are starting to come to the surface um, more and more. But at the same time, there's still an interesting stigma there where Jesus is not involved. And so that makes counseling negative. When in reality, you're just getting tools to help you walk through you know, the hurt that you've placed on yourself or that others have placed on you to work through it, to heal. Like, I, I think it's one of the best investments that you can make. Oh, yeah. I could not agree more. I think, I mean, same as you, therapy has just absolutely saved my life mm-hmm. so many different times. And I remember messages I used to hear about it were like that. It was all just a ploy and you didn't mm-hmm. have enough faith if you went. And yeah, it's just someone wanting your money. And it, that's just... That's such a dangerous message to put out into the world. I know. To put out, yeah, especially like in young women and, and men and just, just people in general. That's just that's just dangerous and it's not right. So go to therapy. <laughs> go to therapy. Message. Again, if you hear anything, if you want to honor your body this week, call a therapist. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, Megan, I have one more question for you and it is a very much change of pace question. So just bear with me here. Hmm. Um, would you rather <laughs> every single? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is, uh, I love oh, it. I've asked this question to so many people, and their answers. I love them. So, would you rather every time you got a hangnail, your hair turned into Chex Mix? You couldn't eat it; it just became Chex Mix until your hangnail healed. Or every time you brushed your teeth, you turned Brian into a hamster and he (laughs) he remained a hamster until you were done brushing your teeth. And like all the safety precautions are made. If he's driving, something will pop up from under him and like help him see over the steering wheel. (laughs) Like he's good. Like he's at work. He just hamster all of a sudden. Like it could be you're mad at him and you just decide to go brush your teeth. actually sounds like a very useful tool. Some days, I think my answer would shift on certain moments, certain days. I'm not really positive how to answer it. Um, no, I think I think Chex Mix only because, listen, I'm an Enneagram 4 and I love, love being unique. And that's something that I like super, super am into. Um, and so to walk around with Chex Mix hair sounds like a delight. Although it would be painful on top of the hangnail, I just... Yeah, that, yeah, I guess that's just a, a cross that you'd have to bear, but <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Chex Mix. That's a great answer. That's actually yeah. the first, no, second time someone has picked that one. Everyone seems to really like turning people into hamsters. Oh. I find it really amusing. So it is amusing. This is oh, a good yeah. psychological experiment. It really is. You get to know a person. Sure. Yeah, Brian, Brian will appreciate that. I will, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, Megan, I want to, before we go, shout out your blog. If anyone out there listening loves to read really incredibly written, funny, honest things, <laughs> you should go check out Megan's blog. It is meghoodwrites.com. Mm-hmm. I will put that in the show notes. I love talking to you during your writing processes and mm. just kind of sharing ideas and yeah, just you've seeing it all. Been such a cheerleader. Thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just been fun watching watching your process and, and mm-hmm. continuing to keep up with your work and stuff. So anyone out there listening, if you've enjoyed this conversation at all, then go check out meghoodwrites.com. 
and I will put that in the notes. But Megan, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Mm, thank it was, you, Jackie. Oh, yeah. It was so much fun talking. I can't wait to actually catch up with you in real time, in person, Amen eventually. Amen to that, sister. Yes, oh, Yes, yes, yes. Well, you have so much fun keeping up in quarantine land over there, and I will talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. so much for listening to today's episode of the unity project it was so much fun having that conversation with megan and getting to know even more more really cool parts of her story if you guys want to support me in creating the unity project podcast then go to patreon.com slash jackie gtv there's a lot of exciting stuff going on there so if you want to know more and get more involved with this show have a chance to be a guest on the show and just just support me as an independent creative, then go to patreon.com slash JackieGTV for that. Or if you guys want to know more about my story, I wrote a book called Finding Home, which is about my journey looking for what home means, looking for belonging, what that looks like and feels like. And yeah, there's not a lot that goes unsaid in that book. So if you guys would like to purchase a copy of that book also supporting me, then go to JackieGronlin.com. All this information will be in the show notes below. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time.